Hello, and welcome to Connected by Life. I'm your host, Sean Paul Harrison. Connected by Life was created to have engaging conversations about important topics that impact physicians and our clinical stakeholders in regards to organ and tissue donation and transplantation. Today, I'm welcoming back Sean Jordan, the president of the Research and Planning Group. We are continuing our conversation about the opportunity for positive change based on the feedback from our physicians and healthcare partners. Sean has over 15 years of experience and his passion shows by his commitment to making life happen. Sean, welcome back to the Connected by Life podcast. Thanks for having me. In the first episode, we talked in general about the need of what you all are providing as far as for the surveys, those conversations, those interviews. But I'd like to get into now some of the more granular level things on, you know, some of the things that you all have learned across the country, like trends and things like that, and what the hospital partners or the physicians are saying. Awesome. Well, there are so many wonderful things that we have learned. And where would you like to start? Well, I, I guess, you know, what are some of the areas that you all see the most, the most commonalities, you know, throughout the nation? I mean, you know, I think that we're all working towards the same mission of, of supporting families and, and saving more lives and also, you know, building that collaboration, that environment within the hospital. But what are some of the things that you all see the most needs in as far as for what, what they're requesting in the areas, whether it's like education or feedback and follow-up or, or areas like that? Yeah, well, so in our last episode, we talked a little bit about how communication can be a big disparity. Um, there's areas where people are saying, man, the OPO is really good at it, and others where they're saying they're not so good. A lot of times that communication boils down to a few specific areas. So. One of those is the very beginning of a case, coordinating things really well, getting all the key players involved and helping them to know what their role is going to be. Now, traditionally, OPOs have used huddles to do that. And we actually used to ask a question about huddles in the survey. And we had to take it out because it was too loaded. They'd hear about huddles and they'd say, oh, that sounds great. Why aren't we doing that? Because they had the idea of like a football team getting together and everybody putting their heads in and getting their orders and then clapping and going off to do what they need to do. I do remember when that was the, the when it became a buzzword and everyone just had the, the wrong perspective. Right. It, so I'm glad that you're clearing that up. And even today, there's a perception that the OPOs ought to be doing something like that. And the reality is it's harder than ever to do something like that because of the hospital environment. So what, what you have to be careful about is being intentional about your language. So when you're coordinating a case at the very beginning, making sure you're identifying who the key people are and talking to them one-on-one -on -one is often the best practice that we've that we've noticed or if you can you know reach a few people in a nursing unit together or a doctor and nurse together or something like that but making sure that you take time to outline the process maybe have a document that shows them a map of where they are and where they're going and also asking them if they have any questions because believe it or not a lot of times they do but they're afraid to just pipe up and ask them unless they're prompted and doctors in particular when they're talking to a non-physician have a really hard time asking questions so instead, uh, asking them, is there anything that you want me to clarify can sometimes be a better way to do things because then they don't feel like they're revealing their ignorance so much as they're just asking for clarification on something. So finding ways to script that to be consistent uh, is really, really important. But another thing about case coordination is that that's often where you're laying the groundwork for all of the expectations about what's going to happen later. A lot of the complaints we hear about bad communication really stem from not letting people know the time commitment they're going to have to put in, not letting them know about any tests or uh, any procedures or anything that they're going to have to do. 
not letting them know about how the donor family is going to be talked to. And that's very important to some partners. Then later on, how are you going to follow up with them? How are you going to let them know what happened after the case? We define it in the survey in two different areas. We call it feedback, which is more that debriefing information that comes within hours or days of a case, and then follow-up, which is that longer-term information that comes within weeks or months of a case. Some partners want both. Some partners just want the feedback. Some partners don't want any of it. Giving them a chance to articulate that to you early on ensures that they don't have a missed expectation later on about what you actually are going to provide to them. And one of the things I often say is the more you can personalize that contact to meet their needs, the better they're going to feel about being a partner to you because you're thinking about them as a person and not just a part of your process. When you're talking about the communication, I think this is this is good because it kind of overlaps one another. Um, is when you're talking about the communication and the feedback and follow-up, is there anything that ever comes up in like the means of the communication, whether it's face-to-face, by text, by phone, because everyone seems to be a little bit different in the way that they want to receive that information? That's a wonderful question because it really does depend on the OPO. It depends on how the OPO has traditionally done things in that hospital. Um, it depends on the region of the country and how people expect to be talked to. It depends on their comfort with technology. So one example would be most of the time for physicians and for many uh, advanced practitioners and some nurses, face-to-face is the best and the most reliable method. It's what they prefer. But some of them are very comfortable with being paged with short amounts of information, being texted with short amounts of information, or um, with getting it over the phone. Most of the time, though, in the initial part of the case, they're not interested in email. Email is what they usually request for the after after stuff. But even then, they prefer it if you can come back and talk to them face-to-face and maybe say, there's more details in the email that I sent you, as opposed to just sending them an email and thinking, okay, that's all we needed to do. One of the things that I wanted to jump to was like the involvement as far as for the physicians and our hospital partners when they're involved in the process and the impact that they have. And one of the things that you've spoken about several times and I always found it very intriguing was the three different types of donation partners. And I wanted you to share a little bit more about that today. Okay. Well, first of all, I have to say that this is not something that I've validated yet through research. And as a researcher, that's just my caveat. And uh, hopefully it's something that you find that is, is true to your experience. I'll validate it we, here. We're good. All right. Thank you. <laughs> so so we, we have found that there really are three different types of hospital partners. And the first group is what I'm going to call the problem solvers. And uh, the, the, what the problem solvers are is they're people who really have the clinical aspects of the case in mind. Um, they like to be involved in the intellectual pursuit, but they don't necessarily want to be uh, involved in the handholding and, and the empathy part of, of the case. A lot of times this might be attending physicians or it might be people who are a little bit more on the academic side. Another group we have, and I'd say this is probably the largest of the three groups, is what we call the purpose-driven partners. They're the ones that really want to be a part of what's going on, but they're kind of just helping hands that are there to help get the case going. They don't necessarily pay attention to all the details of the personal stories that are going on, and they don't always need to know all the personal details after, but they really like to be there in the moment and helping out. And a lot of times that's representative of many of the physicians that get involved in cases as well as many of the nurses. But there's a third group, and that's a group we're going to call the the um, uh, the handholders, and they're often going to be people like pediatricians or really empathetic nurses or social workers or folks like that, that they want to be in the room where it happens. They want to be there from the moment the donor family is talked to, to the moment that the donor family is leaving the hospital. They want to be involved in everything. They really deeply care. And they might be the smallest group of the three, uh, maybe, you know, uh, maybe a third or a fourth of all the people that we talk to. 
but man, they have a really powerful voice when they're talking because they really like to be regarded. So being able to identify the role that they want to play, do they want to just help with the clinical aspects of the study and be collaborators? Do they want to help with the actual physical things that you're doing, or do they want to be there presently through everything is important because the type of communication that they're going to require is going to vary depending on the role that they want to play. And I, I encourage OPOs to really begin to look for ways to identify and maybe see if there's another group beyond that that they can really begin to serve in those ways. Well, I think that's also where it's really important that you are communicating. You're asking those questions because you, you've actually said it in one of the conversations we recently had is that their title is not always going to show what their motivation is. So finding out like at what aspect they're, they're, they're walking into this process and not lumping everyone into just one group. Absolutely. And you know, another thing that I think is so important is understanding what what are they getting out of this? Are, are they just intellectually interested in being involved? For some of them, they, they are. But for a lot of them, they want to be thanked. They want to be regarded. They want to feel like they were part of your mission. And it's so interesting because one of the things that we hear anecdotally quite often, but almost thematically because we hear it so often, is that they really look to OPOs as providing something that they don't get in the hospital otherwise. A lot of hospitals have gone from being general purpose healthcare institutions to places where very serious cases are coming. And especially in the critical care units, the emergency departments and the ICUs, there's just a lot of death. There's a lot of sadness. And you guys come in and you flip the script and go, you know, you're going to lose a patient today, but something good is going to come out of it. And that's really attractive to a lot of the people that are in the hospital environment. And they, they love what you're doing. They love the message. They love the ideal. And so when you can let them participate in that, but also help them celebrate the success of it and thank them for their involvement in it. To many of them, that's something that means a lot to them. And I know that not just because I think that, but because they tell us that in the survey. Uh, we'll ask them questions about how they felt respected or uh, valued. And that's often what they say is, well, they came and told me thank you, or they gave me a personal thank you note or something like that. And if we ask them how they didn't feel valued, a lot of times it's because nobody took time to regard them. So well, understanding what they want. Okay. Yeah. No, I was just going to say, you know, recognizing that loss from the jump, because you know, that's that's how we get involved. That's how the organ procurement organization gets involved with the staff and the physicians is because someone is about to have the worst day of their life in losing a loved one and in recognizing that loss so that they don't think that we're there for just one thing and that we're working together so that this family can be supported. We can save lives and everyone working together to show the benefit of, you know, what we're able to do. And so and I think that's where I kind of wanted to go to as well in some of our conversations before is closing that gap on where where and who is involved. You know, one of the things that you talked about in in all of your, you know, all of the surveys that you've provided, especially over the last couple of years, and I would like to maybe mention a little bit, I, I think that maybe I don't want to head into a completely different direction because I felt like we were heading in a, in, a, in a good area, but also like some of the major differences that maybe that you've recognized between your pre-COVID surveys and your post-COVID surveys and getting away from just doing things the old way? Yeah. Well, let me let me just comment in general, uh, because this, is, this ties into both things that you just mentioned, that one of the, the best practices that we've been able to identify, both because of their uh, presence and their absence, was honor walks. So honor walks really started becoming a big thing about seven or eight years ago. And as soon as they started, we started seeing really, really positive feedback about them from people that just thought they were one of the best and, and uh, most wonderful events that OPOs had ever come up with for honoring the families of the donors as well as the donors and for celebrating the culture of donation in the hospital. 
So during COVID, they went away for a lot of OPOs, at least mm -hmm. for a while. Right. And we saw the absence of them being noted. I wish that they could still do those honor walks. I wish they could still do the ceremonies that honor the donors because the donors uh, at that point, their loved ones weren't even able to get in the hospital to see them a lot of times. And so not being able to celebrate any of that, not being able to regard the family was definitely impactful to those hospital partners who do really care about seeing the donor families being taken care of. Likewise, with the face-to-face -face contact, it used to be, and we talked about education a few minutes ago, um, it used to be OPOs were able to get in the hospital and provide a lot of in-person education. And now um, it's still really difficult to do because a lot of the momentum behind what was going on has gone away. And OPOs have to think really differently about how to provide education. It's got to be in the moment. It's got to be short. It's got to be focused. It's got to be supported by supplemental materials that are both printed and online because they've got to be able to refer to question or things for when they have questions rather than to just be able to learn from a, a one-hour in-service or a seminar or something like that. So how you're thinking about getting people ready for the culture of donation or participating in the culture of donation is so different now because of the things that happened during the pandemic. In reading some of the this feedback and, and having conversations with other OPOs, some of the things that y'all put in the reports is a difference between being valued and undervalued. Can you define kind of what those two are and giving some examples on uh, some of the specific details that went along with those comments? Yeah, so that's part of a block of questions that are all about measuring the relationship that the uh, individual has to the OPO. And we used to ask a lot more questions and we kind of zeroed in on the fact that how they feel the OPO treats them really matters a lot to them. And they often articulate some things that are really specific about things that actually happen to them. So for example, for feeling valued, I mentioned communication already was a big one. Um, being thanked was a big one, but also like they came by our unit and introduced themselves personally, or I know who my representative is, or the leadership of the OPO came in and talked to us. Those are all things that we see a lot. They came in and brought us gifts or things like that is always nice. But, you know, I always say, you know, bringing them gifts is fine, but it's the personal contact that they really are, are valuing, especially when you can take time to walk them through the process or help them. Um, on not feeling valued, we often see a lot of the same things, but on the opposite side, they didn't do these things. I don't know who the leaders are. I don't know my representative's name. Um, they forgot about me after the case, or they they gave me a lot of work and didn't thank me. You know, we, we see things like that getting mentioned. Now, often there aren't that many people that are expressing that point of view, because I think OPOs and, and those in hospital development in particular work really hard to try to minimize those gaps as much as they can. But when they are expressed, a lot of times it's the absence of that personal connection that is really felt the most strongly. Something that's really special too when you're talking about the the valued aspect of things and you know when the OPO is bringing follow-up or you know some type of gift is when they're able to bring a donor family or recipient back to the hospital. Absolutely. You know I know that there's been times where we shared stories or being even involved you know when you have a donor family uh, who's listening to a recipient's heart, you know, uh, the, the life that, that was saved, you know, and, and just talking about, you know, the impact. Because my next question to you was like some of the last things that I wanted to get into was specifically what would you say are the most important things? And I know we've talked about a lot of different ones, but uh, is truly some building blocks on developing that positive culture of donation and collaboratively um, making those connections and those relationships so strong for these potential donor families and recipients that we're trying to save? Well, I, I, I just, I have to mention one of them, which is a little uncomfortable, and that is 
OPOs have got to put a stronger emphasis on reducing turnover because one of the things we're seeing get lost right now is a lot of the people that have been in the industry for decades are retiring and they're not being replaced by people who are able to carry on the work that they were doing because they're new and they're learning things. So that is that is causing a huge rift. And OPOs have got to think more strongly about how to preserve continuity. If you know someone's getting ready to depart, start training their replacement and having them be with that person as much as possible to be able to take that over. Because those relationships are really what's getting lost in the shuffle. If you've worked with someone for 10 or 20 years to the point where they're pointing the residents and the fellows to where the vending machines are in the break room or things like that, and all of a sudden that person's gone, there's a rift. And we've seen a lot of OPOs have major fallouts with some of their donation centers because new people come in that don't know how to keep those relationships going. Beyond that, one of the things that I really, really recommend is having a way of tracking how communication is being done. So I mentioned huddles earlier, and one of the things we learned when we were asking questions about huddles is a lot of people, they had a checklist and they were supposed to check boxes in terms of what they were doing, and they would just check huddles off without even doing them because they're like, oh, well, we talked to them, that's huddling enough. No, you can't do things like that because then if, if it's being tracked and it says you're doing it, but it's not happening, then the result is you don't know what problem you actually need to fix. And so looking for ways to track how communication is being done, maybe measuring it with a quick pulse survey, or maybe just asking partners in the moment, hey, did we answer all your questions? Did we do everything we needed to do? Is there anything more we can do for you? Will really help to begin to identify some of those issues in the moment. And then you don't have to wait two or three years for an RPG survey to come out and tell you what those issues are. You can already be working on them and use our research instead to validate that it's actually worked. Well, Sean, listen, I, I can't uh, thank you enough for coming on and just sharing so much of your experience and your expertise in this field. I mean, I think I can speak for so many people on the difference that you all are making, whether you're, you know, you're doing the survey, providing the feedback, and the work that we get to do to make this process so much better, and especially for these, these families, for these heroes, and for these recipients. So you're really bringing these relationships closer together, and uh, we just really appreciate it. Well, thank you. And what you guys do just absolutely inspires us and humbles us. And I do a lot of work for other kinds of clients, and there's nobody in the world I would rather work for than the OPOs. You guys are just fantastic. And we love you. We support you. Stay strong in what you're doing. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Thank you for listening. And thank you for being someone that truly cares about organ and tissue donation. It matters. You can register as an organ, eye, and tissue donor anytime at registerme.org. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to Connected by Life on your favorite podcast app. And remember, you're a light worker. Keep shining. a production of LOPA. The content in this podcast is intended for informational purposes only and not intended to substitute for professional medical advice. To read our full disclaimer, please visit our website. The Connected by Life podcast is hosted by myself, Sean Paul Harrison. Our executive producer is Kirsten Heinz. Our production assistant is Chandra Williams. And we are recorded, engineered, and mixed in our Covington, Louisiana studio by Troy Perez. <laughs>